0: past few months, we've been going over a series. Really, the theme for the year is serving God, serving people, and understanding what that looks like. And uh, we've been going through 90 days of reading through the gospel, through the, uh, the Bible project on uh, the, you, the version Bible app. Um, so if you're um, newer uh, here this morning, uh, new to us, or if you've been coming in the past couple of weeks, that's where we've been. Um, just walking through this, what's the life of Jesus look like? What did he do? How did he serve people? And what has he asked of us? And uh, we've seen, um, you know, I just personally, for me, I've seen God speak things into my life that um, I knew was there all along. And, you know, but the Lord just, you know, in that moment, he would he would say something to you. And I think there's something to be said when you decide to take a step of faith, a, a deepness in your walk with Christ. You say, you know what, I'm going to go deeper than I've been before God's going to meet that, and he's going to prepare you for something that he's already got for you. And a lot of times, it could be something that has been there all along. Um, but but now, he you, He knows you're ready, that you can handle it, and he brings it to your mind, he brings it to your heart, and uh, he asks you to respond. And God's spoken things to me personally that has encouraged me, and also things to um, to also do things for other people that I uh, just felt the Lord do, ask, asking of me to do. And so, you know, as you read this portion of scripture today, it's important that maybe you've had some similar situations as you've taken a, uh, you know, just say an approach this year to say, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to spend more time with God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fast and pray or, or read this portion of the, the Bible or read the entire Bible in the year, whatever it may be. You know, God, God delights when we decide to make that choice because he wants to speak something deeper into you. And uh, I think this morning we're gonna get this out of this passage today. We're gonna deal with uh, two sisters in the Bible. I I don't know if you've had. How many of you have siblings? You have a brother or sister. Raise your hand if you have a brother, sister, older or younger. Right. And uh, I'm sure you always got along from from the very get go. Right. You were in your house. Right. Everybody just got along with siblings. Right. You never fought. You never tried to be better than the other one. Right. I mean that never happens. Um, You know. But for me, if you're if you're like me, you know, that was often, you know, the, the importance in our home. We wanted to score the most points, you know. We wanted to, to hold records, not necessarily for our school or for whatever. We just wanted to hold a record in the household. Like, you know, like who scored the most goals, who had the most home runs, who had the most points in a game or in a season or whatever. You know, because my siblings, we often put, participated in different sports like that. You know, so there was often that, that sibling rivalry Right? And then there was often times where you know, we felt like we were um, you know, doing chores that, that you know, we were like, hey, mom and dad, I feel like this is more difficult of a chore than what they're doing. Right? We start measuring how long it takes, and we start mapping it out and saying, you know, I'm dealing with a lot more square footage if I'm vacuuming than, than necessarily washing the dishes. Okay? That's not, I don't think that's right. You know? And so, of course, there's often this sibling rivalry that's built within us to say that I want to do better, or I want to do more, or they need to help me out more, stuff like that, where we often get into, and often we always want to prove who's the strongest, right? That's often something, even as a child, you know, we wanted to prove who was the strongest in the, in the house, you know, as far as, um, for me, I had an older brother and older sister, so being the youngest, um, you know, I was the smallest for a majority of the time, until I got about ninth or tenth grade, I started to grow, and I became the biggest, so I knew that I had a small stretch of time frame to kind of prove that to them, that I, that, that there is a new king on the throne, I guess you would say. And, uh, you know, my brother, he was, um, and he was in Iraq for uh, about a year serving in the military, and he had come home. And, you know, I, in that stretch of time frame, he was gone. I had grown like four to six inches. I was much taller. I actually was taller than him. He left, and I was shorter than him. He came home, and I was taller than him. So I felt pretty... Proud of that moment. And so my brother thought, you know, he could just do the same thing. When he came home, he thought he could just push me, you know, and just kind of like nudge me and stuff. So finally, I was like, you know what? Next time he does that, I'm just going to show him who's boss, right? And so my brother, he nudges me. I'm next to my bed. He nudges me. I fall on the ground or on my bed and I get back up and he's not looking. And I just full out body check him like that. And just he just goes flying. I've never seen my brother fly like this before, but it was the coolest thing ever until he went through the wall. And then I realized, uh-oh, like, what's going to happen? And, of course, my dad hears the noise downstairs, and he's thinking, all right, who did it? You know, that's, that's always the question, who did this, you know? And, um, you know, I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I, t- my, You know, Tyler, he pushed me, and, you know, I decided to, to let him have it. And so I body checked him, and he just went flying into the wall. And my dad just kind of looked at me and was like, all right, well, that's okay, <laughs> so, I felt like, so I felt like, you know, hey, my dad approved of that moment, but ne- not necessarily do it again, obviously, but he was just like, oh, wow, the tables have turned now, so it, it was definitely a moment in my life where I'm like, I still brag about that to him, and he's a state trooper today, and all that in Missouri, and so we, I still brag and say, hey, just remember who body checked you into the wall, and you went through it, okay, so, um, you know, but there's often this time and tension that can happen within siblings especially and and uh, as we look at this there's some tension that's built up within two sisters that you know it's not necessarily dealing deals somewhat maybe with siblings but all, but it's much greater than that as Jesus will talk about here in Luke chapter 10 and uh, there's two truths to know and live by because we we have to understand something that God wants us to do it's more than just doing things it's about being somebody that God has called you to be oftentimes the struggle is with Christians is that they feel like they've got to do more in order for God to love them more, or they got to do more in order for God to appreciate who they are and maybe for God to bless them or all these different things. And often we try to do, do, do all these different things. And God's not, God's just saying, listen, I can't love you any more or any less than what I've already given to you. You can't add to my love. I love you already. I have already given my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. There is nothing I can add to that other than the fact that I have loved you so much. I love you so much. Regardless of how much you do, I love you just the way you are. And he has called us to something greater. You know, and often he will show us this. And even through the scripture passage today, we're going to see a pattern of behavior that's not necessarily bad unless you get consumed by it. Then it becomes an issue with your life. And this is where we will go. This is a particular, like I said, this is dealing with two sisters, Mary and Martha. And uh, if you remember the story about Lazarus in John chapter 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus to life, this is the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. Lazarus is uh, their brother. And so this is the important thing we want to understand this morning, is that being with Jesus will give you the joyful attitude in serving him. Being with Jesus, it's not the other way around. Serving Jesus will... Hopefully make me excited about loving Jesus. No, if you love Jesus, if you're with Jesus, he will, it'll bring joy in you that he gives to you. It's not something you can just stir up within yourself. It's joy that he gives to you that will help you serve him. Whether that's in the in church, in the marketplace, in your work, in your household, whatever that may be. It's, a, it's about being with Jesus. That will give you the strength, the confidence, the joy that you need to serve to serve him, whether that, wherever that is. And this, this relationship Jesus has with Mary and Martha and Lazarus is very pivotal. It's very an important passage here because we would often see um, Jesus go to, to Jerusalem or he would be in Jerusalem. And uh, because Jerusalem is, is a city that's well known, especially during this time, and there would be a lot of people within Jerusalem often that it would be packed with people. There was you know, not a lot of housing available at this, in this place, in this area, because everybody was just like, everybody was going in and out all the time. And so Jesus would often stay in a little town called Bethany, which is where this family is. It's about less than two miles from Jerusalem itself. So they were able to walk into Jerusalem, and then when they would be done for the day, they would walk back uh, to Bethany about less than two miles. And so this was often the, the trips that they would take. So now Jesus is coming to Bethany. But he's mainly coming to Jerusalem in Luke chapter ten to die on a cross. This is his journey into Jerusalem. Jesus would eventually walk into Jerusalem. People would start shouting, praising, "Hosanna, Hosanna!" You know, and so blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And all these different things, just you know, pr- pronouncing King Jesus, thinking he's gonna. Most of the people are thinking he's this military Messiah, but he, he starts to show a different Messiah that they were not accustomed to, which aggravates a lot of people and then eventually there would be illegal trials that would take place and all this different stuff they would eventually put Jesus on the cross this is where he's headed and he knows it's coming and so this is the place he would stop at is Bethany and as he's here you know Mary and Martha and Lazarus if you read the John chapter 11 it describes that Martha in this chapter of John chapter 11 is a lady who's really believing Jesus can bring her brother Lazarus back to life. And Mary, on this occasion, is the one that comes and says, if you would have been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. You know, so Martha would make a similar statement, but she's trying to believe. She's trying to get past the doubt, the fear, all these different things. She's having this faith to believe. So, but in this passage, it's kind of the opposite's happening. Martha is now the one who's gotten this unbalanced behavior where it's not going very good. You know, and, and she's very stressed out. And you can understand her stress, right? You're having Jesus come into your household. You've invited him to be with you in your house with your sister Mary and your brother Lazarus in the, in the house. It's a very stressful situation. The reason is because Jesus is at the peak of his ministry. Remember, he's about to walk into Jerusalem, and they're going to celebrate that he's the king. I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a big crowd that would be following Jesus. He's at the peak of his ministry. And so, Jesus is about ready to do this, but he stops in Bethany first, and he's about to have a meal in this household. And so, if, you know, for our community, this wouldn't be like this, but in this culture, this is what it would look like. This is the town entertainment for the night. They don't have movie theaters. They don't have, you know, plays or anything like that. They would do those things even in Romans culture. They would do some plays or whatever, but this is kind of the entertainment for this little town of Bethany. In fact, They would these who are involved in the story who are there in the house, they would often have people outside the house listening, watching, observing what's going on, because Jesus at this point is a celebrity, if we would call him that. He's very popular individual in this point. He would not be popular later with a lot of the Romans and Jewish leaders. But at this point, a lot of people want to hear what he's doing, want to see what he's doing. They want to see more miracles. They want to experience, you know, all these different things. So this is a very stressful situation for Martha, as you can see. There's a lot of people coming, not just in the house, but outside. They're going to be watching. So what do you want to do, right? You want to make sure everything looks perfect. You want to put on a good show, in other words. You want to be the, have, show the best hospitality, and it's for a good reason, right? Jesus is coming. It's not a bad thing to, to do that, to give it your all. That's what Jesus has asked us to do. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, right? So, This is what Martha is doing. She's working at it with all of her heart. But there's something deeper that's going on that Jesus is going to reveal. And so this morning, as we look at this, what are two truths to know and live by that he's going to explain to Martha, as well as Mary, and those that are around watching, observing this conversation? What is something that Jesus is trying to get every single person to understand? There are two truths to know by, to live and know by. The first one is this Serving Jesus is to be a joy, it's not to be a chore. It's to be a joy. This is what Jesus will say in, in uh, verses 38 through 41. He says this, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, many things. I think it's important to kind of break this down. The reason, you know, this is going to be, I love dealing with shorter passages is because we're able to break this down even more and kind of get into the meat of what is really going on here. What is really Jesus trying to get at here? What is Martha doing? And I think it's important that we understand and ask ourselves this question, the expectations Martha has. What kind of expectations does she have? inviting somebody like Jesus into her home. Well, they would go all out. Even if it wasn't necessarily Jesus, if it was somebody coming into their home, they would often open up their homes for guests. It was considered you were the guest of honor, whether you were traveling or whatnot. This was something that they would treat very seriously. In fact, Jesus would be treated, this situation would be treated very seriously. And so there's these expectations and and good impressions she's trying to put on people, but she feels the expectation, right? Right? There's this expectation that she knows I've got to do a good job. Otherwise, people are going to look at me weird or, or they think I'm a bad person or they you know, just think I'm a slob or whatever. And so she's trying to do all this. And you can understand her frustration. Mary, her sister, is supposed to be helping, is sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what Jesus was saying. Now, this wasn't supposed to be something Mary was technically to do in her culture. She was supposed to, Martha has has said something somewhat true. Martha, Mary is not supposed to be sitting at Jesus' feet. Who's that for? That's for the disciples. That's for, the, in their culture, this is their culture, it's for the males, not the females. And now you see Jesus saying, no, I'm not just saying one gender is better than the other. I'm saying genders are equal in my eyes. I'm saying that we all will be judged equally. It's not saying that one gender is better than the other. This is something that's different. This is why when Mary would wash Jesus' feet, they would get so aggravated because she's doing something that she wasn't supposed to be doing, right? They, when Jesus is getting his, her feet washed with, or his feet washed with her perfume, with her hair, it was you don't do that in that culture. That's that's unheard of. What Jesus is doing here, or what she's doing here, is another thing that is different in their culture. Like, wait a minute, this is only supposed to be for the men. This isn't supposed to be for her. And Jesus is not rebuking her; he's actually letting her sit there. He's letting her be there. He's telling her, and I think this is such an amazing, um, amazing characteristic and quality that Christianity has within itself. Because all these other religions, you know, promote one gender over the other. They say this one's more powerful, this one's weak, you know, and all these different things. And 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 Jesus is saying, hold it, hold it, hold it. They're all created in my image. When does this become who's greater and who's who's less. This is about understanding that we're all created equal in the eyes of our God. And so Jesus is doing something here. He's allowing something to take place here that's foreign to the rest of the culture itself. And so from this, we see even expectations that are going on between Martha and and others around her. And the question that you have to ask yourself is what expectations have you put on yourself and what expectations have others put on you? You know, for example, if you're a parent in the room, if you've had kids in the room, this is a very hard thing to sometimes balance in your life, right? Because you're, you have a child in your life and you see other parents doing other things for kids and you see them buying this and buying that and doing this for them, doing this for that. And it's a challenge because you want to have to give your kids maybe the life you had or maybe a life you've never had. And it's not a bad thing to think that way. Like, I want to give my kids the, the upbringing that I had or the people and I have in my life, I want to give them the upbringing I have. I want them to see how blessed I was, and see, you know, in whatever that may, uh, whatever way that may take place, you know, but also at the same time, there could be, I know in a room like this, that maybe you didn't have the best upbringing. Maybe there was an absent parent, maybe there was, um, you know, some some anger issues within your family, some problems within your family, and you saying, you know what, I don't want my, maybe my kids to go through this, or Maybe I don't want my spouse to go through this, whatever it may be. You know, we, we have this expectation that we've got to do something greater. And that's, that's understandable. But don't let that consume you. This is what was happening with Martha. She let it consume her life. She let it consume herself to the point of where she was losing herself. She, she was trying to do so much that her time with Jesus, listening to Jesus, being with Jesus, was neglected. And you see her frustration because what? She breaks. She lashes out, right, at, at Jesus. And it's a, a quite a, you know, I mean, for somebody to lash out and tell Jesus what to do, how many you know you're pretty bold? Like, hey, Jesus, tell her to do something. Like, you're commanding the Son of God. You're commanding God, very God, in that moment to, to have her do something. You are commanding. I mean, that's, that's pretty deep stuff. That's a lot of built-up aggravation. And frustration, right? In order to do something like that, and so as a you know, as a parent or as a spouse, you know, you have all these all these expectations and things you want to do, and you see everybody else doing something like, "Wow, I would love to do that. I think that'd be cool to do." Like I, you know, I think that would be, you know, what I never had this when I was growing up, so I'm going to do this. But you don't realize sometimes what can happen. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, again, but I'm saying what can happen is you get consumed by it. What do I mean by that? You start working longer, you start doing more things doing more, or maybe around the house, or doing more things outside of it, and you're taking time away from who? You're taking time away from maybe your children. You're taking time away from your spouse, and you're saying, well, I want to give them the best life, and you don't even realize that not necessarily saying working overtime is a bad thing, not saying, you know, doing things around the house is a bad thing. Because if you don't do things around the house, how many know things don't necessarily stay the way they're supposed to be when you first have that house, right? Things start to leak and crack and, and mess up. So you got to repair those things. It's not saying neglect responsibility here. But what it is saying is, is are you consumed? Are you consumed with it? Because you're more, you're more consumed about doing things, but you're not even being with Jesus. What do I mean by that? For example... You wake up tomorrow morning at a certain time to go to work or whatever it is, school, wherever it is you go. Maybe you got somewhere to be. Let's say you set your alarm and your alarm doesn't go off, right? You wake up maybe 30 minutes later than you, what you were supposed to. And all of a sudden, what happens? Panic. Like, oh man, I got to be somewhere. I got to get this done. I got to do this, this, and this. What's the, usually the first thing to go? Your time with the Lord. It's usually the very first thing. Well, I don't, I'll, well I, you got to understand, I got to get a shower. I'm going to stink. You know, I, I got I to gotta eat my breakfast or I'm going to be hungry. I got to have my coffee or I'm going to be cranky. Like, I need that in my system. I'm going to have caffeine withdrawal. You know, and you're, you, I, I got to read the newspaper. I got to know what's going on in the world. Like, and we get on our phone and you know, all this. And the easiest thing to neglect, right? It's the easiest thing to neglect because, oh, I'll I'll do it later. Oh, I'll worry about it later. It's not necessarily going to affect me right now. These other things are going to affect me because the smell, the the, my energy level, you know, all these different things, that's going to that's gonna affect, you know, because everybody's going to see that, everybody's going to smell that, you know, you want to you, you do something about it. And it's the easiest thing to neglect, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's natural, even for me. When, I, when I, I'm like, oh man, my alarm didn't go off, or I forgot to set it, the first thing to go naturally for us is the things that we think won't have the least impact on our life, right? That's usually the first thing to go. And so many times, that's the, that's the attitude we have, is I'm just so consumed, I'm so busy, I'm, so, I'm doing so much. I don't have time to be with Jesus. And the time that maybe you do have, it's not really quality time at all. You're just kind of rushing through it and like, oh, i just do this, this, and this, and I'm, I'm out of here, right? It's the first thing to go. It's the first thing that we neglect. It's not necessarily saying that, you know, we're, you know, we're obviously people who need more of Jesus, but at the same time, it's, it's natural for us to just do these things because why we are, we are sinners who need a Savior. And so there's, there's this natural quality within us to say, I'll do it my way. There's a natural quality within us to say, it's, you know what, it's fine, I'll do it later. And then a lot of times, we don't even get to it later because everything else is piled up. And this is the kind of example that can sometimes happen. You know, even, like I said, even with a parent or a spouse. And listen, can I just be honest with you? The truth of the matter is, they need more of you and less of material. They need more of you in, your, in their lives. They could do a little bit less sometimes with stuff. Because you know what? Stuff's replaceable. Wreck a car, you can replace a car. Break a phone, you can replace a phone. But they can never replace you. They can never replace you. And that's why it's such a, and I think America has lost track of that. Where there's absent fathers, where there's absent mothers. And it's not necessarily saying they've walked out of the house. They could be present at the house, but they're not mentally there or emotionally there. They're disconnected. They come home, turn on the television, and I'll see you later, you know, and like, there's no, there's no, there's nothing there, there's no relationship, it's just come and go, and as you please, and do whatever you want, I don't care, and you don't take responsibility for the things that God has given to you that are most precious to him, and that is the people in your life, so it's important that we be careful with the expectations, the expectation is make more money, I gotta make more money, I gotta make it in order to live, I can't pay my bills, I understand, you gotta pay your bills, right, right, Otherwise, you're not going to have the stuff that you have. You need to pay your bills. It's okay with that, you know. You got to have clothes, right? You got to you got to be presentable. You can't just show up to work in pajamas and just do whatever you want, right? You got to you got to be presentable, right? You can't have your hair all messed up. You got to you got to be presentable. It's okay with that. But the point is that I'm trying to make is sometimes, and our culture has even done this. We get so consumed with money, with with looks, with expectations upon ourselves that we place on ourselves, not necessarily maybe us. It's because the pressure is coming in from the world saying you got to be this and do that. And, and it just consumes your life to the point of you don't even spend any time with Jesus. And the time you do spend, maybe is not even quality time. And I understand this. I understand this, that I've never heard somebody complain about praying too much, right? I've never heard somebody say, you know, Pastor Bob, I just pray way too much. Can you stop me from praying too much? I'm, I'm really reading the Bible, studying it way too much. This is taking too much of my time. I really need to stop. We never say that, right? Nobody, I've never heard in all my years of life, I've never heard anybody even tell me that before, or heard from somebody else that this is what this person, I've never heard that before. So there's a good thing to say, I want more of God in my life. There's a good thing to say that. At the same time, it's understanding, Lord, how do I balance my time? How do I balance my life? How do I balance all these different things? Because you've got to understand, this is why it's so important to be with Jesus, because he gives you direction. He tells you what to do. What did Jesus do? He'd get up early in the morning a lot, right? And he would go drift off in some place by himself, and he would pray. He'd seek the face of the Father. A lot of times, during the middle of the day, he would be doing ministry, I don't know about you, but doing that every day the way he was doing it would physically exhaust you, right? I mean, I preached twice this morning, and I'll be exhausted this afternoon. And I just did it for this morning. I can't imagine doing it all day, every day, doing this thing. Everybody wants to hear you speak, and it's just like it could consume you. If anybody had an excuse, it was him. He was consumed with this ministry stuff. And obviously, for good reason, he was doing it, but he didn't neglect time with the Father. He would take those moments that he had. He would be up early in the morning, be with the Father. Ministry a lot of times in the afternoon. If he had a break, he would go off to himself maybe and pray. And and even at night, he would go up into a place by himself and just begin to listen and pray and seek the Father. And even times he would do that, crowds would interrupt, right? I mean, you, you see it. That's why the 5,000 were fed. They interrupted his prayer time. They came in the middle of his prayer time. And what did Jesus do? He just said, "Oh, this... This is my prayer time. Hey, I got to read this Bible, even though I wrote it, you know, but I'm reading it, you know. And so, you know, he's, he's, he's got all this stuff that he could consume himself with. And it's understanding. There's a balance here. There's a balance here. He understands. You know what? He had compassion on the crowd, it would say. He had compassion. And so he would meet them and talk with them. But he would, he would balance himself. And how did he know how to balance? He was with the Father. He knew exactly how to balance his time. He knew how, what, how much time to put in. And when to, to get away, to recharge. Because you're not robots. We all need to recharge, right? We all, ha- we all have a certain amount of energy level. and may go for a certain amount of hours, and then we're, we're drained. We just need to recharge. There's, no bad, there's nobody better to give you strength than the Lord. Because spiritual strength will result in physical strength. How do you think Jesus was able to do it? He was able to have that. And so, there's a lot of different things. Jesus expects us to serve with joy right? It's to be a joy. If we're not serving with joy, if we're not, you know, greeting people at the door, for example, with joy, if we're not serving our families with joy, if we're not serving our our workplaces with joy and doing the things that we have been asked of us, if we're not doing that with joy, then it's not necessarily God that has changed. It's us that has changed. We've changed. Something's changed about us. And so as you grow in your walk with the Lord, if you're with Jesus, If you're with them, understand things become a joy to you. Wow, I get to go into a workplace where there's a ton of people who don't know Jesus. Wow, what a place I get to be. I get to be a vessel of the living God to somebody else. And I get to to minister to people in my workplace and environment. Wow, I get to be a greeter at the door. I get to shake somebody's hand. And you know what? I don't know what's going on in their life. They could have the worst week of their entire life. And I'm shaking their hand. I'm smiling at them. I'm greeting them. I'm telling them, you know, hey, it's good to see you here today. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. And they walk in. You have no idea that maybe their family members are fighting. They're having a death in the family. You have no idea. They lost a job. You have no clue. And they're coming in. And you just giving that joy to them will produce something in their life. They come into this place, wow, they're already feeling the presence of God when they walk in the room, because somebody showed joy to them, what joy looks like. That even you, as person serving, may have had a terrible week, right? Understand that it's not necessarily, let's not necessarily focus in on us and say, well, well, you know, I just had all this going on, so I really just don't feel like doing it, right? I just really don't feel like serving my family. I don't feel like you know, dealing with this situation at work. I don't want to deal with this in church. I don't want to, I just, you know, I, listen, joy is something that is, is, is given to us by our Lord that he takes us deep and it, it's not based on circumstance. So that when I worship the Lord, I don't worship the Lord based on a circumstance or a situation. I worship because like I said at the beginning, he is worthy. He is worthy. I'm not worthy. He is. And whether I feel like it or not, it's not about me. It's about him. This is what's happening with Martha. She's making her life about her. She doesn't even know she's doing it. Her time neglecting from the Lord is showing up. It's showing up in her life. She has a bad attitude, right? And it's not even an attitude that honors the Lord in service. And so she's, and what does she do? She blames God and she blames her sister. This is very common. Very common for all of us. We blame God first thing. Saying, God... If you would just do this for me, then I wouldn't have this issue. God, if you would just answer this prayer, I wouldn't have this situation. God, if you would just if if my sister would just straighten out and straighten up, I wouldn't have this frustration that I'm dealing with. God, if you would just help this parent, this spouse, this child, if you don't have this boss, if they would just understand this I wouldn't have this issue, right? That's, I mean, that's that's how we work. That's how it is. is. We're A lot of times, we're just like her. We're just like Martha. And I'm not saying that Martha's a bad person because we see a different part of her in John chapter 11. We see her, a woman full of faith, pushing past fear, right? She's pushing past the doubt. She's trying with her very best. And you see Mary on the flip side, who's like, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And that's, that's the only conversation that we have of Mary and Jesus in the story of Lazarus. I mean, it's a very... Whoa, like, hello, there's a different side that we did not see in this story, Luke chapter 10. But then we see the flip side, right, with Martha in John chapter 11, a different person almost. Because you know what, when we, we all fall into this as Christians that as you neglect time with Jesus, it will show up. It does show up. It shows up in your family. It shows up in the church. It shows up in your workplace. It will show up in your school. And it will show up in your relationships that you have with people. And this is such an important thing because Jesus is trying to get us to understand something that Luke chapter 10, we even tell us this in verse 27, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know what, Lord, I'm going to love you as as best as I know how. And in order for me to know how to do that, I got to be with you because you can't live out the Bible if you don't know it. You can't live for Jesus if you don't know Jesus. It's hard for him to, it's hard for you to know your purpose, to know what's going on in your life what you need to do about a situation, the wisdom you need, if you don't spend time with him. He's going to tell you. You may be saying, well, that just sounds so simple. It's because, you know, you have to understand something. Some of the basic principles that we know, even in our life, not even spiritual principles, are the ones that help us. And as soon as we do them, we start to see it. Like, for example, if you want to, like, if you're going to go on a diet, what's the purpose of the diet? To lose weight, to be healthier. You know that. I know that. If we know that if we want to get stronger, what do you have to do? Work out. You have to run. You have to lift, right? All these other things. And you go up to somebody who's been doing that, and you saying, what's your secret, man? What's your secret? You say, well, I, I'm eating healthier, and I'm running, and I'm working out. It's a basic thing they knew. They just they thought there was some magical formula that they were using there, and that there was something they were drinking or whatever, eating. And they took a simple, basic principle and actually started to live it. They actually started to live it out. And look what happened. There was change, was it not? There was a difference in their life, wasn't their energy level increased, did it not? It's all these different things that happen. We know a basic thing, and it's, oh, it's just more information. No, it's living it. When you live it, you see it. And you start to say, wow, this was here all along. I just needed to do it all along. And so what's happening here is a negative attitude serving Jesus. Listen, a negative attitude, if... If anything I know about negative attitudes, you know, who wants to be around that, right? Who wants to be around somebody who's negative all the time? Because why? It will impact you. It will start to reflect on you. You'll start to be just as negative as the other person is. Or, you know, maybe even this, you start questioning God if he even cares. Like saying, what does is, what is Martha say? Lord, do you even care? Do you even care about what's going on in my life? And what does Jesus say? How does the God of the universe respond to somebody like us who maybe does that from time to time when we start living an unhealthy balance in our life where we're, we're trying to serve, but then all of a sudden we're, we're trying to you know, help families, we're trying to help friends, we're trying to help the church, whatever. The, those things are all good. Listen, this is not saying that service is bad. If we're going to understand how to serve God and serve people, if you're going to understand how to do that, you've got to be with Him. You've got to know. And sometimes we neglect... The most typical basic things that Jesus asked of us to do, and it shows up. It eventually shows. And so, how does the God of the universe respond to people like us when we go through those? I've been through those moments where it shows up, and I'm like, you know what? It's because I know exactly what's going on. And a lot of times we do. We just want to ignore it. But we know exactly what's going on. You know what, Jesus? I have neglected time with you. Or you know what? The time I even spend with you. I got stuff around me. I'm I'm looking, checking things still. I'm trying to do other things. I'm paying attention to other things, and I'm just, you know, I just can't do it. I, I need to make sure I'm available or do this and that. And I'm listen, you can pray with God in your car and all these different things. I understand that. But there's something about being with Jesus with no distractions. There's something about that. There's something about Jesus going up on a mountain where there's nothing, nobody around. And just being with the Father, there's something about doing that, that gave Jesus power. You know, the disciples when they came to him and say, Jesus, they didn't ask Jesus teach us how to how to heal, teach us how to teach, teach us how to do. All. What did they What did they ask? Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach me how to pray. I've seen you go off in the mountain and pray by yourself. I've seen you do that. And there's something different when you come down. Something happens. It's because they, he's with the Father. And he's doing something greater than himself, and it's an amazing thing to see. And we start questioning God, like Martha, and we say all these things, like, "God, do you even care about my situation?" I mean, we've all done it. So how does the God respond to you? How's the how does Jesus respond to us? What does the God of the universe think about all that? You know, does He come down on you and and say, "Get get yourself together, hold yourself together, you know, grow up, man up, whatever you want to say." You know, stop being a baby. You know, all these different things. Does God say that? No. What does he say? He says it in verse, he says it in verse 41. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. You maybe you'll just read right over that and think nothing of it. But do you know that the way he's saying this, he's so filled with emotion, it brings him to tears. It brings him to tears. And he's saying to Martha, I know what's going on in your life. In fact, it's not just this situation. It's many situations. I see the struggle. I see the doubts. I see the criticism you take. I see all the things that that have happened in your life that were simply just unfair. I see it all. This is why he says her name twice. Martha, Martha. He's not saying, Martha, get your act together. No, he's saying, Martha, I know the pain. I have not missed it. I am not ignoring you. I have seen everything. You know, and you may be going through situations right now. And you think, does God even care? Does God even notice? Can I just say to you, insert your name there. Insert your name. Don't say Martha's name. Say your name. When you're going through situations, when people have mistreated you, when when you feel like, you know what, I'm just so stressed out right now. I don't know what to do. My finances are a wreck. My family's a wreck. My friends are a wreck. You know, my relationship with my boss is a mess. I don't even know if I'm going to have a job next week. Like, insert your name right there. This is what Jesus says to you. Bobby, Bobby, you are upset and worried about many things. And then he'll flow into the next part of that conversation, which we'll get to. But this is how the God of the universe responds to us. Isn't he amazing? Isn't he amazing that he identifies with us, with our emotions? John chapter 11 is something that's even even help, more helpful to us to understand what this is talking about, because he's so filled with emotion in John eleven thirty five 35 about raising Lazarus to life. This is the whole story, right? We already know the beginning and the end of that story. Jesus hears about Lazarus. He then hears about his death. Jesus then comes. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He hears the report. He sees what he has done to the family. And what does he do? He weeps. If you want to memorize any scripture in the Bible, this is the easiest one I'm going to teach you. Ready? John 11:35. 35. Jesus wept. There you go. You've memorized the scripture today. Amen. And so, but this is such a powerful statement. It's short, but it's powerful. And what's so amazing about this scripture is it shows you the God of the universe does not, is, does not, um, you know, necessarily a person who just thinks, oh, well, well, no big deal. They'll get over it. No, this is a God who has feelings. He's showing us he has emotion. He cares. He cries when you hurt. He cries when you have doubt. He cries when you're fighting with your family and your spouse. He cries. He knows that it's painful. And he's not, he, and listen, he knows he's going to raise Lazarus. So what is he really mad about? He's not mad at the fact that Lazarus is dead. He's mad that there's death in the world, that there's sin that leads to death. There's sin that leads to pain. There's sin that leads to suffering. There's sin that causes division. There's sin that causes unforgiveness. Jesus is saying he's mad at all of that. It's a righteous anger. and He says, I'm not going to stop until I do something about it. I'm going to keep working. And in fact, I'm going to go to a cross just to put an end, just to give people the option saying, listen, this doesn't have to be the life that you that you can live out. I give you a different life, a life that's That's amazing. That's abundance. And understand that it's it's much greater than physical things. It's a spiritual joy that he gives you in serving him. Because when you see all that, when you hear all that, what does it do for you? It brings you hope. It brings you joy. That's what it does. It builds your faith. This is what Jesus wants to do with us. He wants to build your faith. He wants to give you joy. When you serve, it's not about do, do, do. It's about, no, I am a child of God. I get to be a child of God. I get to be something that he's called me to be. i got to be something that's bigger than myself. That when somebody walks through the door, you know what, whether I'm assigned to greeting or not, you know what, I'm going to say hi to somebody because I don't know what they're going through. And I'm going to smile and I'm going to be happy that they're here because you know what, it may be a moment where God is starting to open up their heart to minister to them. And you are the start of that. Isn't that amazing? Listen, it makes, makes our job so much easier to preach the word. Because you know why people decide A lot of things about church within the first couple minutes are here, within just a few minutes, before I even come up, before the worship team even plays. They've already decided things about God and their life and about situations that are going on in their life. They've decided it before the even thing even starts. And you know what? When we're here together and we're saying, you know what? Whether I'm assigned or not, you know, I can still go say hi to somebody. I can still serve somebody I can still you know be flexible with somebody I can still do all those things because you know what it's a joy just to be in the family of God it's just a joy and I want to I want people to experience the love and grace that he has whether they're saved or not I want them to experience more of his love more of his grace because I know that my joy can be contagious because Jesus is Jesus that he's the one who gives us joy it's contagious to us so if he gives it to you he can also you can also pass it on to others you're opening people up to that, are we not? You're opening people up. That, you know what, God's already ministering this situation before I even say a word. Makes my job so much easier. Makes the worship team's job so much easier just to preach the word, to be who God has called us to be. Well, we got to get moving. Verse 42, Jesus will finish this statement. He says this, But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better it will not be taken away from her. So, Jesus says you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. That's what the NIV says. Your version may some, say something different, but this is where he's getting at. He's like, well, did Jesus misspeak? Why does he say few things are needed, but indeed only one? Why is that, what's the big deal about that? Like, why did Jesus misspoke? No, he's, he's quoting scripture. He's quoting, quoting the psalmist, David. And da- David writes this in Psalm 27:4. He says, One thing I ask, Lord, this only do I seek. Seeks one thing, but it involves many parts, right? Here's what he says. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of, of the Lord and to seek him in his holy temple. One thing, but it trickles down into several parts. So this is what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, dwell in my house. Dwell with me. If you're in my house, you're able to hear my voice, you're able to be ministered to by me. You can gaze on the majesty, the wonder, and think, wow, I am so amazed at God's presence and what he wants to do in my life, what he's already done, and what he's going to do in the future. I can gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And I get to seek him. I get to know the living God. You know how, you know how amazing that will be? That is to us, and that will be for anyone. You get to seek out the living God. The God who created the heavens and the earth, who spoke everything into existence. That's the God. It's just a joy to know him. So nothing compares to being with Jesus. Nothing compares. Nothing. Not your job, not your family, not, not anything, not even a vacation. It's, nothing compares to Jesus. Jesus can give you more strength than a vacation could give you. Jesus can give you more strength than than somebody speaking encouragement into your life because the source, the source of all joy and peace and hope comes from God, the Father. It comes from Him. And He wants to give this to us. And it doesn't say, again, it doesn't say Mary, Martha's doing a bad thing. It says you've done a good thing, but Mary has chosen the better. Because why? Mary needed this time to be encouraged, to be lifted up. Who knows what's going on in Mary's life? God knows. And he, she needed this time with the Lord. It's not neglecting her responsibilities and saying, I guess I don't have to go to work today. I'm going to report to my boss that, hey, I'm not coming into work today because I didn't get to do my devotional time. Like, you don't get to do that, right? But it's about understanding, like, you know what? There's this times where we have to sit back and just reflect and say, you know what, there are some things maybe in my life that I can pause. There are some things, yes, I've got to be responsible for that are absolute definite. I've got to do them. But there are other things you know what? I don't necessarily have to do that right now. Maybe I can just spend a little bit moment, moments with my Lord and be recharged and be refreshed because I need it right now. That's the, that's the kind of thing that is being talked about here is the things that you can push pause and say, you know what? I need to be with my Lord. I need to be recharged by him because you got to understand something. Most important thing is to be with Jesus. You may be smart, but there's no one wiser than he is. There's no one wiser. You may be good with numbers, but he's the best multiplier. You may know how to do all that, but guess what? God knows how to multiply things that are beyond our even imagination. You can even be a good communicator. You can present a good presentation to your boss or your work coworkers, whatever you want to do. But he speaks to the heart better than anyone. This is why you need him. This is why, and a lot of times we don't think we don't need him for certain stuff, right? We'll trust him with our weaknesses. Lord, make my weaknesses become stronger, right? We want us, but what happens when you have a strength? Oh, God, I got this. This is something I'm good at. I'm good with numbers, Lord. I'm pretty smart and intelligent. God, I got this part. I'm going to handle this situation. I know what to do. I'm good with numbers. I got intellect. I'm good with technology, Lord. God, I got this. This is not a big deal. This is, I've got this. This is my strength. And you know what? This is the same spot Martha is in, same spot. What was her strength? Serving. What did it do? burn her out. That's what it did. God wants to take a weakness to let it become a strength. And he wants to take your strength and anoint it to take it farther than you could ever take on your own. Let me say that again. He wants to take your weakness and make it into a strength. And then he wants to take your strengths and anoint it so he can take you farther than you ever could do with that. This is how God works. But a lot of times what happens, yes, Lord, help me with my weaknesses. But when was the last time you said, Lord, Anoint my strengths. Even the things that I'm naturally good at. Help me with my strength. I need you to anoint it because I know that you can do more with it than I could ever do. Help me. That's the joy that we have in knowing the Lord because nothing compares to him. And then Jesus will finish this. He'll say, nothing will be taken away from her. Why does Jesus insert that there? Nothing. What, what is this nothing? What's it? In other words, it will not be taken away from her. It's the time that he, she has spent with the Jesus And he's doing more for her in her life in that moment than even she would realize. See, this is when we're with Jesus, when we're with him. He's not just going to minister to you in that moment. You're going to go into situations. You're going to go into areas of your life. Maybe you reflect on or you have to do. And, man, God has already gone before you. God has already met you there. He's waiting for you. He's saying, listen, I've already took care of the situation. I'm just waiting for you to join me and, and come on. Because Why? Because you've been with Jesus. He knows where you need to go, what you need to do, and he's saying, listen, if you just take a little bit of time to get to know who I am, I will tell you who you are, and then I'm going to take you places you've never been. I mean, we talk about this all the time. We even sang it this morning. Walk through, if we walk through some of the songs, we say, your love awakens me. Well, he can't awaken you if you don't, if you don't, if you don't allow him to speak to you. Well, your love awakens me. We can sing that. That's a good song, and I love that song. But you know what? God can't awaken you if you don't know what He wants to tell you and where you're headed. He wants to awaken you. Well, you say, "Yes, God, I'm no longer a slave to fear." Well, guess what? You got to let Him speak into your life. You got to listen. We're good talkers, even me. I'm a good talker to God. A lot, God, I got to do this, this, this. I need you to do this. But you know what? Sometimes I got to say, "You know what, God? I just need to listen instead of just going through the speech, going through this, through through the routine." You know, God, I need to pause. Maybe I need, sometimes we just need to pause your prayer time and say, rather than going through your whole thing, maybe you need to pause and say, you know what, Lord, before I even continue with my prayer, what do you want to say to that situation? Is there anything that you are asking of me or is there anything you want to say? You know, I've found that to be so beneficial. You know, if we, if we want to part the sea, as the No Longer Slave to Fear song said, if we want to part the Red Sea, what did Moses have to do? He had to listen. Because what happened? He could have just sat there and stood there and just looked at the sea. But what did God say? No, put your staff in it. Well, Moses couldn't know to do that if he didn't listen to God's voice. Otherwise, the sea would have been there all along and everybody probably would have died. You know, Noah would have never built the ark if, unless God said something. And you know what? People thought he was even crazy. People would have thought, I mean, obviously Moses was probably even crazy too. You know what? God will sometimes call you to do crazy things. But you know why? It's because he thinks you're so unique that your abilities, the things that he has for you, are so unique. You're going to do things no one else in this room, in this world, has ever done before. You may think, well, that's, that's some pivotal people. You know what? Some of the most amazing people I've ever met are not in the Bible, and they don't get on social media. They've never been promoted anywhere, but they're still doing the work of God because they've been called to do it, and it's some of the most amazing people I've ever met. So just because your, your name doesn't end up in a Bible or in a book, and or on, on the news doesn't mean that your story doesn't mean something to God. It means everything to him. Oh, and he wants to do something new and unique in you that he's, never, that he's never done in anybody else before. I don't care what age you are. God wants to do something so amazing in your life that it's only you that he wants to do it through. Look at every story in the Bible. Look at every man and woman, what they did in the Bible. Their every story was different. Everything was different. The things they did were different. Because you know what? They listened and they obeyed. But we have to be with him, in order to hear his voice, in order to do the things that he has called us to do. And so, as this morning, as we come to a close, let's remember being with Jesus will give you a joy in serving him. Being with Jesus is going to give you a joy to do things that are beyond you, that are going to encourage you, give you hope, give you peace about your life. God knows more than we will ever know. And he wants to do that in your life. Amen. Amen. Let's bow and we'll close in a word of...